Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I appear on Sundays on your television in, in your living room, but I'm grinding on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday just to saturate my mind with everything that could possibly come up on an NFL Red Zone episode. Because the show is seven hours, it's ad-libbed, I don't know what game is going to be the fantastic finish or the controversial call or the amazing milestone that's reached, but we're going to have two or three or four of them that are going to be jaw-dropping. I don't know which ones, so i got to study for all of them. Scott Hansen has enjoyed a decorated sportscasting career since graduating with a broadcast journalism degree from Newhouse in 1993. But the role that he's best known for is as host of NFL Red Zone, the NFL's live whip around the league show dedicated to giving fans of all 32 teams a look at every touchdown and every big highlight from their game that week. It's a unique role for Hanson, a former walk-on and four-year member of the Orange football team. For seven consecutive commercial-free hours each okay. Sunday during the regular season, Scott acts as the eyes, ears, and voice of the NFL through a fast-paced and frenetic show. It takes a village, Scott, to pull off a broadcasting feat like this, but I got to imagine you love the adrenaline rush of doing this week in and week out. Oh, 100%. It is a thrill ride unlike anything else. And I've done some interesting broadcasts, but hosting NFL Red Zone is, it's been the thrill of my career and the vehicle for my career that is that has facilitated, you know, a, a, an amazing life that I've enjoyed all the way from the early 90s back there on the hill at Syracuse. And, and by the way, John, great to be with you on the show here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on here talking NFL football. We love our summers, but when football rolls around, you know, the, the dome will be rocking this year for the Cuse and the action for all 32 teams is going to ramp up soon. This is a pressure packed environment, Scott, that you find yourself in hosting the NFL Red Zone. What made this job so attractive to you? Uh, you know, I've always been a, a 10,000 foot view type of guy in, in sports. I not only want to know the, the minutia, the individual details of a game, a team, a player. I, I want to know the, the big picture. I always want to see what, you know, the macro ideas that are coming out of my favorite sport, football. And uh, to give you a little illustration of that, before I became host of NFL Red Zone, uh, 12 years ago, this will be our 13th season this year, for two or three years, I was a roving reporter for NFL Network. So they would send me to an individual game, whatever. It would be, hey, go to Gillette. Uh, the, the Patriots are hosting the Jets. You're going to cover that game that day. So, all right, I'd go get my credential. I'd be up in the press box. Tom Brady would be taking on the New York Jets there at Gillette Stadium in New England. And I'd have my laptop open up on press row in the media box. And I'd be watching the Patriots live on the field in front of me, but then I'd be elbowing the, the other reporters to the left <laughs> and right of me. Hey, hey, Peyton Manning has 200 yards passing in, in the first half. <laughs> uh, uh, Adrian Peterson just popped a 50 yard run in Minnesota, you know, like talking about the other games that were going on, not even the one that was live in front of us there. So I'd always want to see the big picture. And when I heard in 2009, it was the summer of 2009 
that uh, the NFL was going to start up this concept, NFL Red Zone, and what it was going to be every touchdown from every game, seven hours, no commercials, this action-packed show. I, I called up the talent coordinator, and I said, hey, who, who do you, you know, is it true that you guys are starting this? And, I'm, and he was like, yep. And I said, uh, who do you got to host it? He goes, well, we're looking at some people. And I said, uh, is my name on the list? And they had already known me for working two or three years for them as a roving reporter, seen my, I think, my knowledge of the game, my passion for the game, my energy that I bring to my, uh, you know, my, my career. And they said, yeah, yeah, your name's on the list. There was a, uh, we had an audition basically to cement the deal. And uh, obviously it went well enough for me. And <laughs> here I am, 12 going on 13 seasons later. The only host of NFL Red Zone. It's fantastic. And it really does seem like it's a, a great fit. You are, I can tell just off the first couple of minutes, high octane, high energy. And I love the fact that you're watching the Patriots play at Foxborough and you're still thinking about, well, what's happening with Peyton Manning? What's happening yeah. with AP? You know, that has that always been the way your brain functions where it's multitasking and, and it's not just one thing at a time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my mom will tell you yes, because <laughs> When I, when I was named host of NFL Red Zone, um, the first episode was coming up. So we're talking September of 2009. And I called my mom up and she had known that, you know, I was taking a, a different role with NFL media, but I was like, mom, you got to watch this show. This, this show, if we do it right, if I do it right, if we do it right, it is going to be a galactic success. So she was like, and my mom could care less about football other than, you know, when I played, she would always be there and watching the games and root me on, you know, like a great parent would. Um, and I did the first show and I called her up after the show and I'm like, mom, mom what'd you think? And she's like, well, Scott, you, you act like I haven't been seeing you do this your whole life. And, and I'm like, <laughs> really? I'm like, really? I'm like, what? She goes, you don't, you know, I used to watch you in, in the living room when now this is back in the day, I grew up in the eighties primarily. Right. And there was no, there was no Sunday ticket on direct TV. There was no, like, so I'd have the, I grew up in Michigan. So we'd have the Detroit lions game on the main TV. Now maybe on one of the other channels, we could get a second game. So I would wheel in uh, my dad's TV from his den and extend a long cable and pull it in. Right. A lot of people do that. <laughs> then it was like, that was weird. I would even turn on a radio to see if, if I could catch a, a, a different broadcast of a different NFL game or maybe like an all sports radio, like whip around coverage, them talking about who's scoring, whatever like that. And then I'd have like a newspaper and a magazine in front of me that had stats and facts and whatnot that were leading into those games. And I would sit there and do all of that all at the same time. And my mom reminded me like, Scott, you used to do that all the time. That was like a, a routine thing that you would do on an NFL Sunday. Uh, and when I was there at Syracuse, I had uh, a great buddy of mine, Dave Donovan. He's a terrific alum of Syracuse. We were contemporaries uh, in, in class together. And he and I, I was playing football. So I might have a workout in the morning, like the day after the game, they would have a, like a light workout for the football team. But then in the afternoon, we would be free on our own free time. And him and I would drive out to a sports bar out in, oh goodness, I wish I could remember the name. I want to say it was called like it might not be there at Syracuse anymore, like bleachers or something, you know, something like a sports bar name. Um, 
maybe in Liverpool. I, I can't remember exactly where it was, but we would drive out to a sports bar and we would sit there and just watch every single game. And we just ate it up at our time <laughs> at, at Syracuse. So, so yeah, I, I've always been kind of a multitasker and I don't know now we're recording this on audio, but if we also have the cameras available, I don't know if you can see over there, but that's my media wall here in my condo in Los Angeles. I have five televisions on my media wall, a 70 inch screen <laughs> flanked by four 50 inch screens. So yeah, multitasking is not something that, that intimidates me at all. <laughs> Scott, listen, you are living the dream. I love seeing that setup you got there, the five TVs going on. It's basically a sports fan's fantasy, what you get to do. And I know it's not without its challenges. We'll get into that. But when this started in 2009, did you think it was going to have anywhere near the popularity and staying power that it has now? It's easy to say yes, because of course it's, it's tremendously successful, but I am going to say yes. And, and I have proof that I felt that way. And here's what I mean by that. So when we developed it uh, in, in summer of 2009, we had a, a dress rehearsal. We had a couple of like dry runs. We had a dress rehearsal. And I remember speaking to our producers, uh, Jonathan Kaplan and Kent Kamara, our original producers. Uh, Jonathan Kaplan, Syracuse grad as well. He's over at Fox Sports right now, but he was with us at NFL Media back in the day. You know, I, I, I said, you guys, you know, if we do this right, the, like people won't want to watch football any other way. If we do this well, and on the very first episode, September of 2009, and the video clip still exists, I came on the air and I said, something to the effect of, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to NFL Red Zone, the channel that we hope will change the way you watch football forever. Now, it could have seemed like bombast at the time saying something like that, but I meant it then. And here we are going on 13 seasons later. There's not a week that goes by that I don't hear from fans. You guys change the way I watch football forever. I don't ever want to watch football any other way. Or, or when my favorite team is not playing, I'm on red zone. I hear it from NFL players that they're saying, if I'm not playing at, you know, whatever specific time, I've got red zone on either at my home, if I'm on the bye week or I'm playing on Monday night football, we'll watch red zone on Sunday. Or uh, uh, if I'm playing in the late window, we've got it on in the locker room, like three hours before the game. It's a, it's a heck of a flattering thing. So, so yes, I did believe it was going to be that it could be. And I was hoping that it would be and figured that it would be the type of success that it's, that it's proven to be. And of course I read an article that mentioned that even Tom Brady came up to you at one point and was yeah. like, Hey, love the NFL red zone. I mean, you got the reigning however many time MVP and Super Bowl champion seven times over coming up and applauding your work. That's gotta be a little surreal, right? To have, you know, the, the most popular, decorated football player in the world be like, Hey, listen, I watch you. <laughs> you no, know, it, it really is. And he's done it a couple of different times. Um, I would see him at the Super Bowl just about every year because it felt like he was playing in it just about every year. Usually the, the going into the week, I, I, when I go to the Super Bowl, I'm there for about a week. And on Monday, it used to be Tuesday. We called it media day. Now it's Monday and it's at night and we call it opening night, Super Bowl opening night. And I have hosted those festivities for the, for the people that are there in the arena. And they put it on TV, of course, too. And Brady would come up to me. One of my duties during that 
three-hour extravaganza is to introduce the team captains, right? So from the <laughs> NFC champion Atlanta Falcons, welcome Matt Ryan and the guys, da 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 From the AFC champion New England Patriots, welcome Tom Brady. So he would walk up on stage and they would shake hands and the trophy was there and I'd be standing right behind. And after we would do that, he would always come back over to me. We'd go to commercial break or whatever and they could step down off the stage. But he always would come back over to me and tap me on the shoulder and be like, Scott, I love red zone, man. It is so great. <laughs> now Brady is old enough that his kids are starting to grow up a little bit and get into football. And I guess they're playing fantasy football, like as a family or whatever. And so that's the perfect application. So even in the Tom Brady household, NFL red zone will be on there when he's on the bye week or playing on Monday night or Thursday night or, or whatever the case may be. I, I don't get starstruck and you know, I've dealt with every athlete just about that there is, but it's still pretty cool when the goat comes over and says, Hey, Hey, I really like your work. I love what you guys do. Now week in and week out, you have again, the unenviable task of preparing for every game that's on the slate, whether it's teams fighting for playoff position or an zero and 10 versus one and nine squad how do you prepare for a football Sunday and how do you stay so focused for those seven straight hours? Yeah, it's a great question because my job is a little bit like, I don't want to overstate it. It's a little bit like an NFL football player. And that is they work what seems like countless hours, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, leading into the game. The only thing that really matters is that three-hour game for an NFL player. Did you win? Did you lose? Did you play well? Didn't you play well? You put in all this work to lead up to that, to peak at that moment. That's what kind of my life is like. I appear on Sundays on your television and in your living room, but I'm grinding on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday just to saturate my mind with everything that could possibly come up on an NFL Red Zone episode. Uh, because the show is seven hours, it's ad-libbed. I don't know what game is gonna be the fantastic finish or the controversial call or the amazing milestone that's reached, but we're gonna have, out of the 12, 13, 14 games that we're handling on any Sunday, we're gonna have two or three or four of them that are gonna be jaw-dropping. I don't know which ones, so I gotta study for all of them. Uh, it's a little bit like my days at Syracuse. Occasionally, we would have a, a professor in whatever given class it would be that would have the final exam be an essay exam. And I remember my professors at Syracuse saying, okay, the final, like when you come in on Monday and they'd say the final is on Friday, it's an essay exam. Here are 10 essay questions that represent everything we've learned this semester but the exam is only 90 minutes. So three of these questions are gonna be on the final exam. Now, which, which, which three do you study? If you're a diligent student, you study all 10 and that's what the professor wanted you to do. And then when you sit down on Friday, you see which three they are and you're prepared for it. Well, extrapolate that to an NFL Red Zone episode. I've got 12, 13, 14 games. I don't know which ones are going to be the ones that everyone's talking about for the rest of the week. But I guarantee you, two, three, four of them will be. So I study all of them. I, again, the term I use is saturate my mind with facts, stats, figures, anecdotes, history, whatever else there is. And then when it presents itself on Sunday, hopefully I'm ready to roll with it live during those seven hours. 
was there a, a seminal moment, a week, a show when it all clicked and you realized, you know what, by Jove, we're onto something special. And this is just going to be, like you said, changing the way that you watch football and take in sports on TV. Yeah. You know, I, I, like I said, from the beginning, I really felt like, Hey, if we do this the right way, we control every game. Like, and football, the timing of football allows you with a 40 second play clock allows you to bounce around in a popcorn fashion and really, if you're doing it well, if we are a well-oiled machine, which I, I hope and, and believe that we are, you're not going to miss anything. And you can get people the, the moment anywhere in the football universe within seconds of it happening or live. So in terms of, I felt that way going into the first episode, but where it really revealed itself, um, the, first, the first season, we, we cut to a game where uh, it was Brandon Stokely, and Stokely was playing for the uh, the Colts, I believe, at the time, or was he with the Broncos? I can't remember now which one he was with, but uh, uh, we cut to that game, and it was late fourth quarter. We try and focus on the trailing teams that have the football. Okay, they're down by three. They need a field goal to tie, touchdown to take the lead. They're down by four. They've got to have a touchdown, but they have the football and they're in a two minute drill. You know, something extreme is going to happen one way or another. So we like to cut to those games. Well, Stokely's team was on their own, like 25 yard line or something, right? They had 75 yards to go. We're just like, well, let's see if they get over midfield. And there wasn't anyone in the red zone at the time. And it seemed like it was the close game. And all of a sudden uh, they heave it. I, I believe it was the Denver Broncos. I think it was Kyle Orton throwing a pass and it popped up in the air. The DB, two DBs converged on it, had a chance to pick it off. That would have been a game ceiling interception. Instead, it popped up in the air. Stokely ran behind. Stokely wasn't even the intended receiver, ran behind them. The ball popped up in the air where he could field it behind the last two DBs who tried to make the interception and ran for whatever, a 75-yard touchdown to win the game in the final seconds of the game. And it was like, we basically just hit the remote. We hit America's remote control at the exact <laughs> right second to get them that live. And while I think it's bordering on, on blasphemous a little bit, NFL Red Zone has been described as it's as if you're watching TV and God has the remote control. <laughs> Again, it's a little too, it's a little theologically incorrect for me, but, uh, but, but it, it, it kind of holds true. If you watch one channel, NFL Red Zone, you will see everything that is spectacular in the NFL live or basically in real time seconds after it happens. So what's not to love? Now, Scott, I think you'll be impressed by this. I've waited 20 minutes to bring up your fantasy football team name and your most amazing technique and trait, the iron bladders. The <laughs> fact that you just don't, you don't take a bathroom break. I mean, when I read that, when I heard that, I'm thinking to myself, no, there's got to be. Is it what, one time during your hosting duties you've had to step aside yeah, to well, use the bathroom? Well, first of all, John, well done. Well, that's you, you have good Syracuse orange discipline <laughs> to, to hold back until to ask that. And uh, because I, I've done every radio show, podcast, talk show, it seems I've seems like I've done all of them and they all want to know because everybody's fascinated with it. Is it true that Hanson doesn't take a pee during NFL? <laughs> and, and the answer is, yes, it is true. 
Uh, I have taken, I kind of didn't keep track of it for a long time, but then when I realized fans were fascinated by it, I could take a bathroom break, but I don't want to. I don't want to turn my microphone off and walk down the hallway because my IFB, my earpiece is always live. So I could still, if I walked down to the men's room and, and was there for whatever, two, three minutes, and I, I could still hear the games in my ear, I am paranoid that I will hear, that is the greatest touchdown we've ever seen, da, 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 whatever, and I, and I would miss it. I don't want to miss a thing. So the truth is I dehydrate myself starting on Sunday morning. I have, we have a chef at NFL media that makes me the same dense protein, salty breakfast so I can retain water. I have one, I don't drink coffee. I don't need coffee to get me going in the morning. So I, I have maybe a, a diet Pepsi or something to get a little caffeine kick in me. I have one little bottle of water that I'll sip on throughout the day, but I cut off all liquids three or four hours prior to the show and then don't drink anything during the show. Don't eat anything during the show. And I just get locked in on the football. I, I call it the, they got to have the willpower of a ninja to <laughs> past your biological demands and be there for the football audience. And the truth is I have taken one bathroom break in the last eight years, I guess it's been, like I said, I didn't keep track of it in the beginning, in the first few years, but after people got fascinated with it, I was like, well, maybe I ought to keep track. And the one that I took, I was playing hurt. I had gone skiing. It was late in the season. And I went skiing on like Wednesday because my days off are in the middle of the week. So I went skiing and I fell, took a bad fall skiing and really, really messed up my rib cartilage. And it kind of threw off my, my ritual, my systems that I used getting ready for the, the show on Sunday morning. I ate a little extra. I drank a little extra just to try and give myself a little extra pep because I wasn't sleeping well because of this rib injury. And not to sound like, oh, I'm some kind of hero or something like that. But I was, I was definitely physically not right doing that show. And I had, to, I tapped out. I gave, I gave in. I told my producer when my mic was cut to the live audience, my producer can always hear my microphone. And I said, uh, Yunty, Ryan Yunt is his name. And I said, Yunty, uh, you're not going to believe this. And he thought I was talking about, he thought I was talking about something that went on a game that he didn't see. And he goes, what? And I go, I got to go to the bathroom. And I hear the control room go, oh, like that. Like they were like, what? The iron bladder is taking a bathroom break? So he found me, he found me a couple, uh, you know, a, we got on some drive of some game and we're like, okay, hopefully, you know, Tom Brady or whoever runs it, you know, a, a little bit of a drive that you'll, we can stay on this drive for a little while. I ran down the hallway, did my thing. And I sent out a tweet. I just took my first bathroom break <laughs> in at that point, it was like five years, six years. Every, it was my most liked tweet ever. I believe it was my most retweeted tweet ever. The fact that I said I went to the bathroom because everybody seems fascinated by it because everybody can relate to it because I think people sit on their couch watching NFL Red Zone and they don't like me. They don't want to get up because they don't want to miss the greatest touchdown of all time, which could be 10 seconds away. We don't know. But invariably, you know, they're eating their snacks. They're drinking their beverages. They got to go. So they go to the bathroom and they come back and I'm still talking and they're like, wait a minute. I gave, when does Hanson go? And, and so people are fascinated by it. I, I try and have a good humor about it, but, but yes, my fantasy football team's name 
is the iron bladders. And I, I, uh, I, I, I embrace that, that moniker. It's unbelievable. Your, your feats of physical endurance that you do week in and week out, putting <laughs> your body on the line for seven hours. I'm sure it's not unfamiliar to uh, your Syracuse university walk on days uh, with coach P and coach Mac. Yeah. Take us back to those days, Scott, what drew you to Syracuse and how did you walk on to those? Those are some pretty darn good football teams that the Q's yes. had back then. Yes. Yes. The climate is different there. I know right now in the carrier dome and, and, you know, I hope coach Babers gets it, gets it right. And, and uh, they get back to their winning ways. But in the, you got to remember late eighties, early nineties, we were rolling. I mean, we were a top 25 team every year. We finished in the top 10, my senior year, 1992, that season, we went 10 and two uh, and then beat Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl. Those were the, you know, that was, those were the heyday. So I grew up in Michigan, like I told you, and grew up loving football, wanted to play football when I was 10 years old. Oh, I'm going to go to the NFL and all that. Well, the good Lord didn't see fit to make me, you know, 6'5", 250, running a 4440 and all that business. So I, I had to give up on the NFL dream as a player, probably early high school, early to mid high school. I kind of knew that, yeah, I'm not going to be good enough to go to the NFL. But my parents had encouraged me to find something that you love and try and make a career out of it. So I'm like, OK, if I can't play it, those guys on TV sound like they're having a heck of a good time talking about it. I wonder if I could do that. So my dad and I researched like great communication schools, broadcasting schools, and of course, Syracuse was right at the top of the list. And so I, I geared my mind to going to Syracuse as a student. And when I find I was rejected twice by Newhouse, my grade point average wasn't good enough. I guess my, my SAT, ACT score wasn't good enough. Uh, but the second time I got into the arts and sciences school at Syracuse with an option to transfer to Newhouse, so I'm like, I don't care if I got to go compete, I will go compete against every other student that they say is better than me. I'm ready for it. And when I knew that I was going to Syracuse as a student, I was like, I still love football. I was all conference and captain of the team and my high school team. I was a good player, but I was probably like a division three player talent wise. So I said, you know what? I got to, I want to, I want to walk on the football team there. I want to, I, I still have this left in my blood and I want to see if I can do it. So I won't make the story too long because I know we're tight on time, but I wrote Dick McPherson, right? The old classic hall of fame coach. I wrote him a letter saying, coach, here's, here's, here's who I am. Here's where I'm coming from. I would love to walk on the team. I would just give me a shot. Didn't hear anything back from him. So I wrote him another letter. This is in the summer of 1989, right? My graduation year from high school, trying to get a walk-on uh, invitation for the fall, the summer camp of, of 1989. So I wrote him another letter, nothing. Wrote him another letter, nothing. Convinced myself that, you know, maybe I had the wrong zip code. You know, I'm sure <laughs> getting these letters and, or, or you know, I, or, I'm sure if he got these letters, he would be responding to me, you know, but it, he was probably just throwing them into a trash can. Right. So I think I wrote six, six letters, seven letters, maybe. I wish I, I wish I would have made copies of them because this is before email, of course. And the story goes, and I found this out way later, that Coach Mack, goes into one of the early, early team uh, coaching meetings, which would have been like in the deep part of the summer, getting ready for summer camp. Like, okay, here's all the freshmen that are coming in this year. And he took like six or seven letters and said, we got this kid from Michigan who is wearing me out with these letters here. 
and assigned one of his coaches to contact me and say, you can come out for a four day tryout. And so I got, I got this letter. I was shaking when I got it. Like, <laughs> oh, man. And I, and I had a four day tryout in the summer camp, you know, going into the fall season of 1989. And I showed them just enough that they said, you can stick around. George DeLeon, real Syracuse mm. fans will know that name, the longtime mm. offensive coordinator and assistant coach at, at Syracuse. George DeLeon pulled me aside on the fourth day of my tryout at lunchtime. I'll get emotional thinking about it because he said, you know, we love, we love your hustle and, uh, and uh, you know, you could stay around here. If you do the right thing and you, and you, uh, you keep going in this direction, you know, you could stay around here. And that's kind of how it was that I made the team. And, and it ended up being four day tryout turned into four years on the Syracuse football team. And I am forever grateful for the opportunity and the experiences and the, and the lifelong friends that I made through playing football at Syracuse. And you got a perfect 4-0 record in bowl games off of that. You're yes, really sir. the real-life Syracuse Rudy based on true story, <laughs> not the exaggeration for Notre Dame's version out there. It is, but I didn't have the glorified sack at the end of my career the way Rudy did. I was not carried off the field, uh, but but I loved being a part of those Syracuse Orange teams. And like I said, junior year, we went 10-2, and won the Hall of Fame Bowl. It's now basically known as the Outback Bowl, beat Ohio State in that game. And then 10 and two in my senior year and beat Colorado, which was rolling back then. Colorado was one of the best programs in the country to finish uh, fifth in one poll, six in the other poll in my senior year. It was a heck of a way to go out. Well, Scott, I know you got to get going out there. I really appreciate your time between you and Andrew Siciliano, Syracuse Orange alums dominate the NFL red zone. It's so cool that we can say that we have claimed to both you and Andrew here. And uh, you've given us some great comments here on the podcast. Thank you for the time and best of luck. We'll be watching each and every Sunday. Well, thank you, John. I'm glad you shouted out Andrew Siciliano because a lot of people, they hear NFL red zone and they, and they watch the, the quote unquote Scott Hansen version of it. Andrew is, was a classmate of mine. He's a colleague of mine in NFL media. He does a fantastic job on the red zone channel on direct TV. So I'm glad you mentioned him and it was good to be with you here today. Go orange, everybody have a great football season. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse conversations podcast.